The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Debugging your Ajax JavaScript and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 113 with guest Scott Guthrie, recorded live Friday, May 13, 2005. <laughs> .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter and now offering hands-on VBNet and ASP.NET classes remotely online at www.franklins.net and by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications online at www.datadynamics.com and by peterbloom.com. Start with better controls, finish with better sites. www.peterblum.com Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who's been teaching all week and has had his funny bone whacked right out of him, Carl Franklin! Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for that creepy introduction. And uh, let us take a moment to pray to the gods that watch over the hard drives during the show. Oh, hard drive gods, we beseech thee, please keep them running. Keep them intact. Let not our stripes break down. (laughs) Well, uh, this is Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks. I'm live in New London, Connecticut on the East Coast where the submarine base just got whacked on the list. And we'll talk about that maybe on Mondays. But anyway, I'd like to introduce my co-host out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, Mr. Richard Campbell. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. Having a good time. It's 05-1305. I'm not sure what to do about that. I don't know. A lot of significant things happened today. Um, well, two things. One, a grotesquely horrible serial killer was finally executed today in Connecticut for the first time in like, I don't know. 50-something years. 50-something years, yep. And uh, after much ado, and the uh, you know the the, the Pentagon's uh, death list of of uh, military installations, uh, one of our our local naval base made it on there, which is uh, uh, not only a naval base but a training center for submarine school, and uh, so everybody's kind of depressed down here, a little bummed they're gonna, out. They're going to shut the base down. Uh, it made the list, and the list is now. I don't know what's going to happen to it, but. Uh, they they they're recommending that uh, the Pentagon's recommending that they shut it down. Hmm. New London's the uh, base for the Virginia class submarines too. 
Yeah, that's right. It's Groton, which is right across the uh, the river. But you're right. The uh, the Sea Wolf, the Virginias, those are those are here. Well, you know, if they do shut it down, that decreases your likelihood of having a nuclear detonation anytime soon. Yes, this is true. This is true. I think it would make a nice uh, university campus. But enough about that. Anyway, you're right. I have been teaching all week, and my brain is a little bit mush, so don't expect too much from me. But uh, we did get some email, Richard. Yes. We got this great note from uh, Glenn Germain in beautiful New Zealand. Hey, Carl, just had to drop you a quick note after listening to the latest DNR. I'm embarrassed to say it, but until I listened to this last show, I have never gotten around to investigating .NET Nuke. Sure, I'd heard about it. But between the server installs and maintenance, the .NET programming, the database and network troubleshooting, reading 50 blogs a day, and of course, warning obligatory gratuitous suck up ahead, listening to DNR and Mondays each week, I had never gotten around to taking a look. What can I say except, wow, I have three clients who are hanging out for a solution that allows them control over their content, allows subscriptions, ease of management, etc. This is undoubtedly it. I've looked at a few commercial solutions, but hey, these clients are small to medium-sized businesses without in-house IT support and without tens of thousands needed to purchase, install, and support some of these solutions. While I was uh, listening to the show, I was able to download the code, install a site, and register a couple of fake users all before you signed off. I can't believe I've missed looking into this product for so long. So I was up till 4 this morning playing with .NET Nuke. My wife doesn't thank you, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've had lots of nights where my wife didn't thank me. Yeah, so that's from uh, Glenn Germain. I Resolve IT New Zealand, who uh, we shrinksterized his website for you, shrinkster.com slash 58K. Um, I also did a little bit of work with uh, .NET for the first time this week. Um, Not the first time, but the first time I'd actually set it up from scratch. Nice. Somebody else had set it up here, and I had... And uh, I had some issues with it, but, you know, apparently the issues were, and and I can't say it wasn't not reading the documentation. It was because I read the documentation and chose to change a few items in the config file before installing it, which crashed it. Um, So the the result, you know, the the solution was don't touch it, just install it. Yeah. And and then go back and make some configurations. But but tweak it later when you have some idea of the way it works. So if you have a problem installing, just don't change anything. First install it and then go back and tweak it. So uh, what's happening up in Canada this week? Well, uh, I've got a uh, session coming up. I'm doing the Vancouver uh, Technology Users Group on Wednesday. Uh, I don't even know what the heck day that is. It's the 13th of the day. What day is it? Yeah, so 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18th. 18th. Yeah, so I've got I'm doing the uh, Vancouver Technology User Group's uh, presentation on uh, May 18th on Wednesday night. I'm going to be talking about some advanced querying tricks, one of my favorite sessions, and one I'm actually going to do at TechEd in Orlando as well. Awesome. Yeah, it'll be good fun. They, they're a nice bunch of guys there, and uh, we eat some really bad pizza and drink too much cola and of course. talk shop for a while. I have a couple other community announcements here. Uh, Rory Blythe, former .NET Rocks co-host, is now executive producer of The Code Room. If you haven't seen The Code Room, it's a one-half-hour TV show that exposes technologists to the latest tools and technologies for tracking real-world software development issues. And uh, it's a professionally produced and directed TV show that highlights the social, teaming, and technical challenges faced when attempting to complete a software development project. Episode 2 is now online at thecoderoom.com. 
Also, on May 4th, longtime Rocks fan Brian Kuhn became a proud father of a baby girl, Avery Ryan Bentley Kuhn. Seven pounds, 9.9 ounces, and was 20 inches in length. If you really want baby. S- if you really want to see her, check out shrinkster.com slash 58J. Congratulations, Brian. Congratulations, Brian. It's awesome. Jeffrey Palermo, who came to our attention listening to .NET Rocks while on active duty in Iraq, is now working at Dell Computer and hosting a pre-show party at TechEd for the early arrivers. Details at shrinkster.com slash 58I. Also, I want to announce that Giancarlo Aguilera fights back against the C-sharp snobs over at the Code Project in an article that takes on a recent C-sharp versus VB article at that same website, which we mentioned on an earlier show. You can read this article entitled VB Defamation Indeed at shrinkster.com slash 58M. That's all I got, man. Let's just go ahead and announce Scott Guthrie, shall we? A guy who really doesn't need much in the way of an announcement, He really does doesn't. He? I mean, he, we could just say that he's God and leave it at that. <laughs> he runs the IIS team, the ASP.NET team, and the Visual Studio Web Tools team. What can we say? Give it up for Scott Guthrie. How are you, sir? Pretty good, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you've been on the show before. You were on the show actually last year talking about ASP.NET 2.0, and it was really uh, – you, you, you whet our appetite. I think that show may have been the first time many people had heard what ASP.NET 2.0 was going to be doing. And you ran through a list of the major features, but a lot has changed since then, huh? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was probably it's almost maybe two years ago that we did the show, I think. Jeez, you know, but, you may uh, be right. So, yeah, so we've, uh, we've shipped two betas since then. So beta 1 and beta 2 just came out um, about a month ago. Yeah. And uh yeah, so so it's you know, it's uh getting to the final legs of the release and it's pretty much baked and you know, just getting ready to ship it. Yeah. Well, I was just reading uh an article uh I I can't remember exactly which magazine it was, but I I read an article about um the um uh, the the asynchronous events, the and we made a joke sort of about Ajax in the beginning of the show. But uh, I've been playing with that stuff, and Richard has done some stuff with it as well, although it was before it was called Ajax. Um, but I, I downloaded a .NET, Ajax.NET DLL, mm-hmm. which is uh, this guy's project that basically simplifies access to XML HTTP. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys are doing something in ASP.NET 2.0 around that. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, in uh, ASP.NET 2.0, we have a feature... Um called uh it's called client callbacks mm-hmm. um we didn't we should have come up with a cool sexy name like ajax but it, uh <laughs> <laughs> we came up with a descriptive name yeah well i take all the fun out of it <laughs> yeah it's, it's been in the product uh about two years now but it, the idea is to enable uh provide a framework so that from the client you can um call back to the server and rather than have to do a post back or rather you know rather than refresh an entire page you can actually effectively have uh, um, HTML or, or script on the client talk directly to a control on the server. Okay. And so you can actually reference and send a message directly into a server control in your, you know, your page, and, uh, and server control can then return data. And um, the, the, the nice thing about it is from the server perspective, you don't have to write any special code in order to enable it. Yeah, and it provides a really nice kind of hierarchical composition model. So you can have a control nested within a control that's exposing a callback, and 
you know, we do all the magic to make sure the call gets to the right place. And the nice thing here is the broad, the user experience is very stable. You're no longer repainting the whole page. You're just going off and getting the chunk you want. Yep, exactly. So, so you know, an example would be, let's say you have a tree view, and the tree view has thousands of items in it. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the nice things about it is you could say, oh, actually, on the tree view, rather than populate all thousand items in the tree view the first time we render the page, instead just fill out the first level of depth on the tree view. Yeah. And then as people go ahead and expand subfolders to see, you know, other sub-items, only at that point go back to the server, just grab the next set of lists and automatically populate the tree view on, on demand. And you're not doing a post back, you know, it's, it's much cleaner, much much smoother experience. And the beauty of the developer, you really don't have to do anything special in order to enable it. Yeah, we- so I did that kind of stuff. I was telling Carl, I did this kind of stuff in 1998 with IE5. Mm-hmm. It was you know XML HTTP existed then. It's just nobody was using it for anything, and it was all pretty raw XML, and there were no standards around a thing. But it was the same basic concept, and what you described almost to the letter. We just did it by hand. It worked great. Uh, you know, if I'd known everybody was going to get so excited about it, I would have kept on doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the beauty the beauty of the stuff the the, the infrastructure in ASP.NET 2.0 is you don't have to write any JavaScript to enable it. Yeah, okay. the control itself. All you do on the, I think on the tree view is it's like uh, populate on demand or there's some property that you set, and then you just you specify a populate on demand server event, and then anytime whether it's on the client or server, you want to populate a node, we'll just call out to this event. You write your code and away you go. And so instead of having to write you know hundreds of lines of JavaScript code that you need to debug on multiple browsers, you know you just you know, about two minutes, you can enable that, and it works. Yeah, it really is almost like a switch option instead of post-back. Well, let me ask you this. Is it is it only a feature that's baked into some co- controls for certain things, or can you... No, you can exchange any type of data. The built-in controls we have in ASP.NET 2.0, we have built into the tree view, we have built into the grid view, so if you page through data, we can actually do client... We basically, you know, uh, if you go from page one to page two to page three of a, you know, Hundred pages of you know Google results or yeah. database search or whatever you have. Um, you know when you click on page three, we'll go back to the server, grab page three, and just automatically repaint it on the client. Um, so it's just built in, just a property set on the control. Good. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is, can you do some low level stuff if you really wanted to? I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole yeah. framework. I mean, basically, okay. there's 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 a whole framework tied into the page framework for okay. enabling it. So if you want to drop down and write your own custom thing. Yeah, if Got you want to write your own, you. yeah, okay. If you wanted to write your own JavaScript with what comes back, you can. Yeah, and yeah. the beauty is, uh, control developers can encapsulate that and hide it from users. Right. So the users don't have to see all that, you know, all the that kind of right. implementation. They just have a very nice, clean model. And, and, and you, what we've done in, in ASP.NET 2.0 is just built a whole bunch of controls that take advantage of it. Cool. And you are using XML HTTP. Yep. Yeah, we use XML HTTP. All right. So it's essentially the same stuff that AJAX is doing is using. Yep. Okay, yeah, cool. It's similar. It's the beauty is just you don't have to you don't even have to write right. AJAX la- at the AJAX layer. In classic Microsoft style, you guys write the tools that takes the grunt work out of it. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what we're trying to do. And you'll see you'll see even more probably with the next version of ASP.net. And you know what they say, every day you don't debug JavaScript is a very good day. Oh god. Day. Very good day. If yeah. I ever have to debug JavaScript. I actually did some this week cuz I was doing this. So um, uh, so obviously the, you know, the application that they're, that everybody's trying to hack now is Google maps, right? Yep. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're using it to XML, HTTP calling out to, you know, to, to code on the server, returning graphic data, image data, whatever it is. 
Yep. And uh, and and you know, just for a joke, we went and looked this week uh, on the web for try to find somebody who has done any kind of successful hack to Google Maps. And while we found a couple of websites where people had done it, they weren't really forthcoming with their code. <laughs> but anyway, I can see that. Uh, you, what do you think? You think that? Uh, I mean, this is a real popular thing right now, uh, this uh, Ajax wacky stuff. And do you think that this is trend? Is just a, a phase or a trend? Or or you think a lot more websites are going to take advantage of this kind of stuff in the future? I definitely, I definitely think it's a trend. I, I think you'll see a lot more websites take advantage of it. Um, I think that the big thing that's changed, I think, in the last, really in the last two years is Browsers have caught up now such that you can do yeah. this in a browser-independent way. And, you know, Firefox fully supports it. IE fully supports it. You can also make it work with Safari. And, you know, you think back two or three years ago, um, you know, the br- you know, browsers didn't have – there wasn't, a, I think, a rich enough subset that, that was in 99% of, uh, on devices. Yeah, it was IE or nothing. Yeah, I mean, it sort of, you know, pre, pre-Mozilla – versions of browsers say on Linux or on the Mac were uh, you know not not you know didn't didn't support client side JavaScript as well or there was there was enough differences from IE that there wasn't a good standards based way that you could go ahead and write it. And and now you know now there kind of really is. You can write to kind of an XHTML spec and you can use standard JavaScript and you can make you, know, you can basically build these experiences that'll run on pretty much any browser. And I think you're gonna see a lot more people take advantage of that. We're all enjoying the fact that Netscape 2 and IE3 are nowhere to be found anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. Well, what do you think? Uh, uh, how about support for Mozilla in the next framework uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Firefox building building the stuff right into the uh, web.config or uh, not web.config, machine.config? Uh, yeah, we have full support in I – mean, one of the big things that we did with ASP.NET 2.0 um, is try to make sure that we support kind of all modern browsers. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of the, you know, one of the dings that people have with ASP.NET 1.1 is, you know, validators only do up-level for IE. They didn't do up-level for, say, Firefox or other things. Well, there was no and, Firefox when 1.1 came out, right? Yeah, there was no Firefox, but, but there wasn't, you know, it didn't work with, say, Netscape 4 or Netscape 6. Right, okay. Um, and one of the things that we've done is gone back and, and made sure that all of our up-level, quote-unquote, features now work with all modern browsers. So you nice. can do, um, you know, you can maintain scrollback positions, you can do client-side validation, um, and use the client-side validation framework. You can use the tree view and the menu and, and some of the richer controls uh, perfectly well in all browsers. And so, uh, I, you know, I think, I think people that are targeting kind of multi-browser scenarios are going to be pretty happy with the results. You know, when .NET first came out and I saw ASP.NET and, and the browser support therein, which, uh, you know, if, if people listening don't know, the device capabilities for the different browsers are located in uh, machine.config, which is in your .NET uh, directory under Microsoft.NET Framework and your version and then under config. And it's a big XML file that has all the configuration settings for the framework. Uh, for the machine level, and uh, you know, you can just do a search and find Opera in there. You can find Web TV. You can find all these, you know, browsers that you thought you never were never going to see again. They were in there, and I thought to myself, "How are you guys going to keep up with that?" Like, if in between versions of the framework, you know, a browser comes out that 
that you know you need capabilities for do you do you and and I know that you know there hasn't been any sort of uh, did the last service pack contain patches to that for for say different uh different browsers or do you yeah, have a plan do. to do I mean, that? one thing is um so we actually in 2 we changed the browser the way the browser detection works a little bit it's the same API um, but we've actually partitioned out so that instead of embedding all the browser definitions in machine.config, they actually can now live in separate files. Oh, cool. Kind of dot .browser file. Good. And, um, and one of the benefits there is that also you can, you can, have, you can have multiple dot .browser files. Yeah, so you can update. no longer a single giant file you have to update. Um, and uh, one of the things, you actually, if you use Visual Studio, um, with starting with Beta 2, if you actually are working on a web project, and you say add new item, you'll notice there's actually a browser definition file now actually in the item template. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you can pick that just like you can new page or new web.config file. You can say, oh, new browser definition. Wow. And it'll create a browser's directory for you and provide you with an XML file that actually defines the template for how you define browser capabilities. Wow. So it's really easy for you to add your own. And the beauty is you can either add it at the machine level, but you can also now easily add it at your app level. Oh, that's so nice. So if you want to say, oh, just for this app, I want to have Opera do this weird, wacky thing, or I want to have IE do a weird, wacky thing, you can do that, and you can also just add your own user agent devices and stuff. And you just keep it in its own file. It doesn't have to be combined with your main file or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's a special directory, I think it's called like app underscore browsers, that we look in underneath your app, where I think if you just copy it in there, you should be good to go, which is kind of cool. Um, but anyway, so, so creating new devices is fairly easy. The other thing about the browser capabilities is it's, we use kind of a regular expression-based model for looking at user agent strings. And so uh, you don't have to worry about, oh, if version 5 comes out and you have definitions for version 4.5 out there, you can say, oh, if it's greater than 5 or greater than 4, do this. So, you know, by default, when new devices come out, because they typically just read the user agent string subtly, um, you will at least get the default behavior of the previous versions. Cool. Um, So you don't have to worry about you know, every time someone changes a user agent string, you have to do something. Right. And and do you, do you have a, uh, you think there will be updates that will come interim if necessary between, maybe even between service packs for, for those devices if we start getting back into a browser war type scenario between different sure. versions? Sure, oh, definitely, you? yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's pretty easy for us to go ahead and do. And so yeah. um, if, if devices change dramatically in capabilities, that's certainly something we'd look at. Yeah. And now you, having them in separate files is much easier for you, obviously. Yeah, it makes it much easier. The other thing that we've done, which you know, I haven't seen any developer take advantage of yet outside Microsoft, but it's it's something something for you know some advanced people that want to play with to take a look at, is we've introduced this thing we call an adapter model in ASP.NET 2.0. And basically the way that works is there's now extensibility hooks built into the core ASP.NET control framework. Yeah. So that, you, for example, you put a button on the page. Um, by default, it'll use what's called the built-in rendering capability. And so that's the HTML definition that we provide and the behavior definition that we provide. But you can actually, as part of the browser file, define an optional override adapter for the button. And what that does is it keeps the same object model. So you still program it the same way in your page and and all that. But uh, when it comes time to render the control or to handle postback, we'll call out to the adapter and let it participate. Wow. And so you could, for example, build adapters that render a different markup or, you know, radically different look and feel 
if you wanted to. And the beauty is you just register them in the config file, and from that point on, any button on used on that page for that particular device will escape out to your adapter, and you can configure it. It's very Windows subclassing like behavior, sure. except that there's n- similar. To, the difference is it's not you're not subclassing it. Yeah, there is no subclass actually. You're actually modifying the core control itself, and so the beauty there is, you know, uh, an advanced developer could define a set of adapters, uh, let's say ones that use layers instead of tables for. Right. Um, you know, UI and, and, and more CSS-specific stuff. You could build a set of those and say, oh, I'm going to replace the rendering for the grid view. And, in effect, add a whole bunch of features to the actual grid view itself. And a developer using, you know, the grid view on the, on the, on the page doesn't have to learn a new object model, doesn't have to learn a new control. They, they're using the same one. They just get more features or a different rendering. So it's definitely an advanced feature, but it's... It's one that kind of we expect to take advantage of more in the future as new devices come out. Yeah, not only just for us, but for you as well, is easy ways for you to add extensibility onto these different bits. Exactly. And you guys have done the hard part by just making sure all these intercept points are available. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you know, we, we have a, a mobile set of adapters that we've built that won't ship directly in the product, but we might ship as like a web download a little bit later. And uh, if you plug those in, um, you know, our controls can emit, for example, like WAP, uh, WML, or XHTML mobile renderings. Yeah, I mean, that way both guys that are still using WAP can make their phones work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did get a chance to peek at your blog uh, earlier on this week, and uh, I see you're, you're down into the compatibility testing level. So feature-wise, ASP.NET 2.0 is pretty much locked up now. Yeah, it's pretty much locked up. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, across our... Across my teams right now, so that's Visual Studio side and the ASP.NET side, we've got about 140 bugs left in the product. Just hit refresh on the bug query now. Nice. Um, <laughs> this is real time here. <laughs> We're looking at it right now. Yeah. It's gone up about seven bugs since we started, so I've got to figure out what's going on. But, uh, um, yeah, so it's, you know, we're down to the kind of the, the last couple of bugs, um, and uh, we're basically pushing to hit zero bugs. Uh, on June 3rd, so it's uh, about three weeks away. That's yeah, a tough three weeks. Yeah, it'll be busy three weeks. We'll uh, uh, you know, have a lot of pizza for the team. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So, so basically, where we're at is um, you know push push to hit zero bugs at that point, and at that point, we're basically going to lockdown, and we'll we're going to, we'll stay in lockdown for a few months. But at that point, the only thing we're looking at is last minute performance regressions, uh, looking to get. Uh, kind of our long haul stress uh, machines running for you know huge extended periods of time under heavy load. Uh, there's more and more customers that are starting to go live on beta two, and so yeah. we'll spend uh, time actually you know watching how those machines are doing and uh, having them update periodically to use to use newer builds, and then doing compatibility testing and, and trying to fix as many compat issues that, as we can see, and then we're good to go. So yeah, it's it's entering the kind of the end game of the cycle. So Scott, you know that uh, a company has come out with C plus plus server pages. You know, active server pages for C plus plus. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that. Are, are you scared? <laughs> not not terribly. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, you, you obviously use managed C plus plus with ASP.NET pretty well. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, um, well, yeah, anyway. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm not too worried about embedding C++ inside pages. Yeah. I'm I'm waiting for the assembly language implementation. Yeah, that'd be the best right there. Well, there right. is there is actually uh, someone's built a uh, managed compiler for IL, <laughs> so you can actually and, yeah you seriously you can code right in IL, angle bracket wow. percent, and then just you know stick in IL. Uh. <laughs> um, it's, I think it was more built as a joke than as a as a gag. Yeah, you would actually build a whole website that way. But uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool to see. I mean, it's very very clever and very cool. Here's a question from the chat room uh, from Alfred Gary Myers Jr. in Brazil. He says, as Whidbey approaches to RTM, you guys probably already started to think about Orcus. Any trends that you could share with us? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, um, we're just sort of uh, starting our uh, – so Orcus is the code name for the version that ships after V2. So Whidbey is an island here in Seattle. That's our code name for V2. Uh, or just north of Seattle, and then Orcus is a set of islands north of Whidbey, um, and uh, so that, that's that's the code name for our next release. And we're uh, we're still we're still uh, uh, we're still in the early planning phase there, but um, I think we'll probably have a pretty good idea what we're going to build feature wise in probably the next six weeks. And when uh, one of the things that I found when I was working multi-version of software is there's often features that people have thought of that you have to triage out into the next version. So you sort of have this grab bag of, boy, those were neat ideas. We're just not going to get a chance to do these now. They'll be, then let's look at them for next version. Yep. So you're sitting on a heap of things like that? Yeah, I mean, in general, yeah, in general, there's there's kind of two classes of features you can do, usually with releases. One are kind of the specific, oh, it'd be really nice to add this property or add this sort of small feature to an existing feature, existing control or app service or something like that. And then there's kind of like the bigger, what I kind of call themes, which are um, you know, assemblies of features that uh, uh, work together and kind of accomplish a specific goal. Almost sort of a, a style of how we want to shift the development model. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for example... Um, uh, and we'd be, you know, we, for example, updated the validator controls to support Firefox. That's an example of kind of taking an existing right. feature and doing a little bit more with it to make it better. Um, an example of kind of a, a bigger theme would be we said, hey, we want to, you know, dramatically uh, simplify doing security. And, and so we added, you know, uh, the membership and role management services and the login controls. That, that's a much bigger kind of new thing. So usually what I, you know, what I try to do when we're planning out kind of an extra release is come up with a vision doc that, that calls out a couple of big themes and tries to orient a whole bunch of features around that theme. And then we'll go back at the same time, look at our existing feature set, and, um, you know, and make sure that we add, you know, enhance the existing set of features as well. And it's, I mean, it's just key factors around web development specifically that I guess you can tackle one at a time and say, what would be a better way? Security is obviously one of them. Data handling is another one. Uh, and I think the master pages sells into the whole idea of how do we separate look and, and content effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for, for, um, for Whidbey, the kind of, the, the role of the team we had was kind of developer productivity and, and, and all those features you just mentioned kind of nicely dovetailed underneath them in the sense of how can we dramatically make building web applications easier and more productive? And and then we kind of broke it out from, hey, how do we, you know, enable you to have consistent UI? Well, master pages and themes come into play there. How do we enable, you know, data access to be radically simpler and easier? You know, that's where some of the data stuff came in. 
you know, security and all, you know, all that stuff. So uh, that, that's kind of usually, so what we usually try to do is um, usually a couple months before we start coding, have kind of a vision doc that we circulate to the team that kind of calls out, here's the big features, here's how it's all going to tie together. And then uh, we'll spend a couple months, you know, designing them. And then uh, and once we'd be finished, we'll uh, roll over and start working on the next release. So there, are there any big features out there that just didn't make this cut that you can think of? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think Orcus will be a pretty exciting release. Um, lots of new stuff. Uh, I mean, it's... it's uh, oh, yeah, there's, there, there's, there'll be lots of goodies to, to, to bring. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, I can definitely think of lots. <laughs> but you're not going to tell us any of them. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think... Uh, just drop one on us, man. Yeah, we're not going to hold you to it. We know it's too early. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think you'll see um, a lot more spent, a lot more time. You'll spend a lot of time looking at, you know, how can you do more um, kind of client-side web development in the sense of taking advantage of AJAX-style model stuff. I think we made a, a really good start with that in V2. You know, I think you'll see us push that even more in v3 in the, in terms of the controls that you build and things like that yeah. yeah i mean there's a lot of you know I, I think the i think it's still pretty darn hard to to do ajax style development yeah absolutely and i do think you hit to the heart of ajax in the sense that giving us a way to go get more data without rebuilding the page yeah and if that's a very fundamental part of that equation. But another part of it is there should be some ability to do more work at the client level. It's It's got some power to it. Sure. It's got symmetry between the versions now. There's some things that could be done there. We don't have to go ask the server for every little thing. Yeah, and one of the big things that we also pushed with ASP.NET V2 is XHTML support and, um, and, okay. and trying to be really standards compliance apply in terms of markup and in terms of capabilities. And one of the one of the goals of that is so that in the next release, for example, we can leverage that the fact that in theory your page should work everywhere in the same way and you can write to a kind of a common up level functionality. You, you can you can do a lot of stuff there and instead of having to kind of special case it for this browser and that browser because the markup's different, by getting customers to a point where they're writing pages that are standards compliant and will work by default in all these different browsers. And also very rich. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and because it's XHTML and because it uh, supports that kind of common subset, um, it, it's a rich subset and you can do a lot of stuff with it. Yeah, the further we get away from the if IE statements, the happier I'm going to be. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I, I think I think um, you'll see Ajax is a is a is a or you know Ajax style kind of development as a big theme in Orcus, and I think I think another big theme you'll see is richer designer developer workflow oh, nice. integration. That's great. I'm very happy to see that. You know, you touched on something about XHTML, and I remember from your blog entry you were talking about you know one of the things about ASP 2.0 and Studio 2005 was that XHTML was going to be the default setting, that when you build pages, you build them compliant. And then when you ran into conversion issues with com the, the compliance, you're now going to sort of vary the rule that when you're upgrading an app from 2003, we'll turn that off to make sure you work. Yeah, it's it's um, you know, one of the issues that we've run into is um, you know, people have been generating non-standards markup for a long time, right? And you know, frankly, a lot of our development tools have been 
encouraging that by you know not themselves generating standards compliance. Some would say all of the tools. Yeah, some would say all the tools. <laughs> um, and so you know, one of the big things that we're doing with uh, Visual Studio 2005 is you know generating XHTML compliant markup by default, um, adding the XHTML doc type by default, and then I think a really key feature is uh, providing XHTML validation inside the source editor by default. And so as you're doing IntelliSense, you'll actually filter by default on what are the XHTML compliant um, properties, events, et cetera. And we'll even provide a JavaScript um, statement completion based on whether it's XHTML or IE or Netscape. Nice. So we'll literally vary everything based on what schema or what device you're targeting, which That's is, nice. I think, a pretty huge change. And it's something that, frankly, I haven't seen any other tool try to do in real time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Dreamweaver, I think, lets you you know, run a switch over, the, we'll, we'll do a one-time validation, but we'll actually validate as you're typing in real time, which is pretty cool. Are you guys looking at doing any kind of uh, cascading style sheet tool that uh, goes beyond what the just basic editor does? Yeah, I mean, I think for Orcus, you'll see, as I sort of mentioned, the designer-developer um, kind of workflow integration. Right. And I think, you know, we've done the first level, which is to be to go to XHTML for markup. Mm. Um, obviously, we support CSS with V2. Right. But I think there's a lot more interesting things we could do in terms of refactoring for CSS and really pushing yeah. style sheets more. Right. And, uh, and so I think, you know, I think you'll see a lot more of that, both on the runtime side and then also on the tool side in Orcus. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I mean, Whidbey is going to be a, is a giant stepping stone towards kind of achieving that nirvana of designers and developers working together. But there's even more we can do. Folks, do yourself a favor and check out our friends Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine, and you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. Scott, when, when I first heard about all the great high-level features that are going into ASP.NET, you know, I, I, I really think that's awesome and great. But, you know, like in the back of my head, I have a fear like, you know, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to get down and, and code at the level that, that I need to code at. And uh, just address that. Like you can, you can literally code at any level you want mm -hmm. in ASP.NET 2.0. Isn't that right? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh... Um, if anything, we've added more low-level features, I think, yeah. than the previous version of the release. Um, I, you know, I think the stuff that gets the big buzz is, wow, I can, you know, there's all these features I can just take advantage of to kind of, uh, you know, assemble a site really, really quickly. Yeah. But the extensibility hooks that we've added to all those features really let advanced developers drop down and really get their fingers dirty. Now, tell me some more about the provider model. Like what? What does that entail, and how can I? Where can I expect to see that? Yeah. So basically, one of the things. So so some of the big features we've added in V2 are things like the membership system for doing username, password, credential store management, a role management system for managing usernames and roles, a profile system for managing personalization data, a site navigation system for managing kind of the link structure in your site. Those are some examples of kind of what we call sort of application services. Yeah. And out of the box, they just work. Um, there's a whole bunch of controls that you, you can write either code against them directly. So, you know, system, you know membership dot validate user or mm. membership dot add user. Nice. Um, and there's also then controls that, that go against those APIs. So you can also just drop in ASP call and login, and it'll talk to the membership system and away you go. And so it gives you a lot of out of the box capability, works great. Um, the thing, you know, obviously, if you're in a complex environment or you already have, you know, like an enterprise environment, or you already have a username password database that you're using, you know, the question is, what do I do with these features? Are they useful for me or not? Um, right. And, uh, you know, well, we obviously want the answer to be yes. And, uh, and so what we did was we made sure that all of our core features are built on what is called this provider model or provider pattern. And basically the pattern, it's fairly easy or simple, is, is don't ever have an API directly talk to its implementation mm-hmm. um, or, or a data store. Instead, basically uh, look in the config file to, to see what provider is configured for that particular API, say, for example, membership. And it'll then load what's called a membership provider, implements an abstract class that defines a contract for what a membership provider looks like. And the membership API then directly delegates to that class um, that's implemented that contract, and that class then provides the ultimate behavior. And so there's a built-in SQL membership provider class in the product. Mm -hmm. And what that does is when it's configured, which it is by default when you install ASP.NET, and you call membership.createUser, membership.createUser will then go ahead and call the SQL membership create user method. And it then goes against the database and creates a row in a database for a user. Not unlike your data providers that you have in .NET now. Yeah, and, and the beauty is you can go ahead and build your own provider. Right. Um, so if you want to have your own existing database provider or you want to have the XML file system provider, that's going to do your username password management. All you need to do is subclass the membership provider base class, implement the contract methods that you want. So, for example, create user, validate user, et cetera. Um, register it in the config file. And then at that point, anyone in the system who calls membership.createUser it'll automatically call into your method, and you can basically control what happens. And the big beauty of that is, you know, you can go ahead and integrate that then with any existing backend system you have. You can really modify the behavior and the semantics however you want. But, you know, and the beauty is anyone within the app, though, that's using the standard API automatically goes to your implementation. It's really a cool trick. And what gets me so extoted about this is it's it's a way, you know, it's always been the truth, uh, the situation when you're a developer is, yeah, either fully commit to the solution or you can't use any of it at all. 
Right. So right. you're either all in or you're not in. And as soon as you find what you did was go look for the variations. As soon as something didn't fit you, okay, we can't use any of it. We got to roll it all ourselves. And you've defeated that by creating this almost like reverse API. Instead of me coming to you and saying, I want you to do this, I'm saying, I, I bring my code to you and say, tell me when you need me to do this. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the really nice thing is all, the, all these productivity features in ASP.NET are built on top of that. So it's not just, oh, if you build in a membership provider, you now have a new membership API you can use for credential management. You know, all the login controls will just work against your new provider without you having to change anything. You can build it on both sides of the interface, in other words. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, for example, if you build a site navigation system that stores the link structure for your site in the database that you define, it's probably, I don't know, 150, 200 lines of code that you'd write for your provider. You know, our built our menu, menu control has a built-in data source that can bind against the site navigation system. Hey, suddenly you have a built-in you know, menu control that does both Firefox and IE and Safari, you know, smart flyout menu stru- system going against your database. Awesome. Likewise, the breadcrumb control that's built in the box that you know, tells you where you are in the sitemap just works. Likewise, the tree view can just bind against it. You know, and so you get all these kind of built-in features for free. How many controls do you expect to ship? New controls? I think we're shipping about 60 new controls. Six zero? I think it's about six zero, yeah. You guys are out of control. <laughs> yeah, there's, a lot, there's a lot of new controls. <laughs> and you mentioned the breadcrumb control. What are some of the, uh, what are some of the ones that people are immediately going to go, thank God? I'm thank Godding about the breadcrumb control, I'll tell you that. I love breadcrumbs. Yeah, the breadcrumb control, I think the menu control that does both hierarchical and fly-out menus and drop-down menus... Nice. Tree view controls can be a big fan. Um, I think the login controls, we have a login control, create user control, change password control, recover password. So if you want to implement the kind of, you know, what's your mother's maiden name and you get sent a new password, that yeah. control's in the box. Let me ask you uh, about the data grid. Sure, is, lots is, of new data controls. Yeah, is the data grid a new data grid in addition to the old one or is it an extension of the new one with with more stuff? Yes, we still we fully support the existing data grid control in V2, so that that still works just fine. But we've also added a new control we call Grid View All right. um, in V2, and that's basically uh, think of it as a a new data grid with okay. some new features. So right. the object model is very similar to the old data grid, okay. um, with a few differences in terms of the eventing, but uh, um, it provides a number of kind of nice new features, um, much easier, better paging support over data. Okay. Um, uh, much better updating support. Um, does some client side stuff, which is nice, um, and uh, uh, just just generally kind of a, a a better data grid. I found myself uh, recently wanting like a cross between the data list and the data grid. Like I wanted the data grid's paging capability, but I wanted the data list's ability to repeat across columns. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of hybrid control that does both of those things? There's a well. There's we have repeater in terms of uh, um, kind of recurring controls that, are, that show multiple items at once. We have repeater, data list, um, and grid view are kind of the three big controls that kind of handle repetition. Uh, there's also then a new control we call details view and a new one we call form view, which mm-hmm. let you look at single items. Okay. And so if you want to, and it, they both support paging as well. So if you want to look at like a single record. Um, you know, it's ideal for master details in yeah. particular. Uh, but if you want to look at like a single record, you can use one of those controls, and then you can also page back and forth. Um, 
you know, across a list with him. Uh, Mike from the chat room is going to kill me if I don't answer his question. He's asked it three times now. Okay. Uh, how does the new ASP.NET uh, Widby deal with browsers that have JavaScript turned off? Uh, good question. Um, so uh, basically we continue to support um, – we don't require JavaScript um, for, pretty, for most of our core things. Um, so you, you can turn really? off JavaScript. Really? And uh, the, you know, the core controls will still continue to work. Um, there are some controls. I mean, there's some behaviors you can't really simulate without client-side script. Um, but, if, but if you're doing data entry, you're doing master pages, you're doing themes, you're doing, um, you know, pretty much I think most of the controls. So like the, just continue to work. The grid in the calendar, for example, have that do post back. That's not there anymore. Or calendar, I don't think you can do. I don't, I don't think you can do calendar selection. Um, for grid, I think we have an option with grid that we actually can use images and do postback on that. Oh. Uh, oh. One, of, one of the things that, uh, little known features is input type equals image. Right. And that, <laughs> that will let you do postback even without having JavaScript. Nice. Um, and so that, that's a feature that I think we use for kind of next and previous buttons, um, for, for, uh, some of them. Some of the controls. Dan from Endosoft says, what are some of the new features for ASP.NET control developers, embedded resources, et cetera? Yeah, oh, boy, there's lots. Um, you know, uh, one of the big ones, I think, for control developers is much richer client-side scripting support. Um, we mentioned, I, I mentioned a little bit some of the kind of the, um, uh, the kind of client-side callback capabilities. Um, there's also just a much richer scripting object model for, um, you know, linking to JavaScript files, adding JavaScript events and, and key points of the client-side event model. So if you want to hook an event before postback occurs or, you know, on page load and all nice. those things, th those are now kind of all built in. What about a generic designer, WYSIWYG um, designer? Well, somebody else, we, don't have a, we don't have a designer for compiled controls. Obviously, you can do user control, right. um, WYSIWYG. Yeah. Uh, we do have new features for resources. So if you want to embed an image or you want to embed a client-side JavaScript, you know, today typically what, what uh, control developers do is they kind of require customers to, oh, install this control here and then create a vroot and copy, you know, all these image files here. And it's kind of an installation nightmare. Yeah. You can now just compile those directly into the assembly as a resource, an embedded resource. Nice. And then as a control developer, we have a, a callback mechanism so the clients can reference them. And so basically you can tell a customer, hey, here's this DLL, copy it into your bin directory or GAC it, and you're deployed. Is it possible to detect new features or restrictions, such as pop-up blockers that became popular recently? Uh, is it possible to uh, block pop-up blockers? Is it possible to detect them, to detect them? Like oh, to detect them. Yeah, new th things um, like pop-up blockers. And we don't have built-in support for doing that. Um, you know, one, one challenge is that browsers don't really tell you whether or not you're doing pop-up blocking. Yeah. So, you know, what some people do is they'll pop up a, um, you know, they'll pop up a window that's going to run some client-side script. Right. They'll know if it runs, then it's not disabled. But, uh, um it's it's hard to it's hard to detect that automatically. Same way it's hard to detect whether or not client side script is enabled or disabled. Right. Um, we did add support in ASP.NET two o for better cookie detection. Oh, cool. And so uh, we we now have 
have a richer mode for so we can auto- automatically detect whether or not cookies are enabled for things like session state hmm. and uh, forms authentication. Rory Becker asks Scott, "What are the chances we might see controls in the future that render XSLT instead of HTML for client-side transformation of XML data?" Um, you can certainly build them to do that. Uh, we don't. Um, my sense is we probably won't use XSLT as um, as kind of a client-side rendering format. We've 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 tried that in the past in the uh, very early days of, of ASP.NET before we released V1. We played around with that a lot, and we ran into a lot of issues with it. And so I don't think our built-in controls will take advantage of that, but certainly the control framework will support it. And you know, for some scenarios, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's not real. Uh, well, you got enough trouble with browser compatibility. Now get into XML parser compatibilities. Yeah, that was one of the things we ran into. Um, yeah, the, the other thing that's really that can be challenging is how do you handle hierarchy with XSLT? Yeah, when you have input input controls. So you know you, you're rendering a, a list of input boxes. You know how do you rev the IDs of the input boxes and generate and pull out the values from those input boxes and do the reverse transform? And XSLT is great doing one-way transforms, but... Uh, but it's definitely one-way. And you try and do anything else, you're going to get into trouble. Yeah, you really have to kind of dance through hoops to make it work two-way. There's things like InfoPath, or I think, I think InfoPath does that a little bit. Um, you know, there, there are people that do it, but it's you end up constraining yourself a little bit. Yeah. I always thought of XSLT as another variation on uh, programmer abuse, like Perl. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can certainly you can certainly abuse it quite a bit. Yeah, it's just language is designed to be completely ununderstandable. Yeah, now I think XPath is very interesting, and so you know XPath kind of came out I think partly, you know, through X, you know as as is part of XSLT, and so there's definitely very cool part things to take advantage of, but um, I, I don't think we'll we'll do too much with XSLT. Well, Scott, I, I want to talk a little bit about Internet Information Service seven zero, but before we do that. Uh, I, you know, last week we had a, uh, our show was about .NET Nuke 3.0 and we had Sean Walker on and Jim Duffy and, uh, they were talking about it. You may have heard the, uh, the email in the beginning of the show that we got about it, but, uh, yeah. some of those, uh, the guys in the .NET Nuke community have sent me some emails, uh, some questions by email for, to ask you. And sure. so on behalf of them, I guess I'd like to, to ask these questions. So, uh, Patrick Santry asks, what is your take on the growing community of ASP.NET open source projects like .NET Nuke? Well, we think it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, okay, next question. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> yeah, we, we've, been, we've been actually been trying to do a lot of work to support um, efforts like .NET Nuke. Yeah. And, and promote them pretty heavily and, and uh, you know, provide, you know... I mean, the number of, the number of really great knowledge sources for ASP.NET online is staggering. I it think really it's almost is. defined the genre. You know, granted, we do have Carl here yeah, from the original VB websites way back when. <laughs> but when you go out and you take a look around at some of the ASP sites that are out there, it's amazing what's available today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, we, we really spent a lot of time trying to build a community up around ASP.NET because it's, there's only so many people any one person can talk to, and so the more you can kind of get that, you know, trickle-down effect. It's a no-brainer, you know? Yeah, I a mean, no-brainer, and have, you know, experts everywhere around the world that that are uh, you know, eager to help, and, and you know, 
able to help. And so, and there's yeah, so, so many, been... there's so many cool things to share. I mean, there's just a wealth of coolness in ASP.NET. You know, you can't get it all in one place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nor should you want to. If you, if the first place you aren't going is to a search tool to find uh, for <laughs> your ideas on building a web page, you're making a mistake. Right. Somebody's been there before you. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. One of the things to actually check check out with uh, ASP.NET 2.0 is a website that we're kind of building out. It's it's not officially live yet, but uh, um, but it's up there. It's we haven't kind of finished tweaking it, so you might see it. You know, might be a little raw. Yeah, I took, but uh, I took go to beta.asp.net, cool. and that's a new site we're building out specifically around ASP.NET 2.0. Cool. And um, it's one of the things that's, that's on there is the new ASP.NET 2.0 quick starts. So a lot of people probably from V1 remember the quick starts. Sure. Nice. Um, the 2.0 quick starts, I think we have about 1,000 new samples. Oh, man. Um, and they really show off the new features, and it's a great way to kind of learn um, you know, more about the product. The other thing that's cool that we're, we're kind of building um, is these things we're calling starter kits. And so there's, there's big apps like .NET Nuke, which are kind of systems in and of themselves, uh, which are which are great. We're also then trying to build these kind of what we call starter kits, which are um, more kind of template apps that you start off with. Um, and so they won't be as rich as .NET Nuke, but uh, you know, basically provide a way you can in the tool say file new website, pick one of these starter kits, and you're kind of hopefully seventy or eighty percent of the way there on a project. It's sort of a north wind for ASP.NET. Nice. Uh, yeah, although a little bit, a little bit richer. I mean, Northland was a was a database schema for kind of a fictional company. Right. Uh, we're building, for example, uh, uh, you know, eBay is actually helping us build a eBay storefront starter kit, and you create this, and it actually you know lets you easily register if you're an eBay seller today, and you know talks to the eBay service and will populate you know what auctions you currently have going on, and you know and all that. And then you can just easily add a couple extra pages of functionality into the site, prop it, and you're done. And, nice. Um, yeah, so it's much more scenario focused. And we'll have, you know, have a, a e-commerce one that'll use have built-in PayPal integration. Um, so you know, kind of like the iBuy store, but more real and more you can just use it out of the box. And we'll have data reporting ones. We have a personal starter kit that's built into Beta Two, kind of provides you with a personal site with you know a photo album system, a resume system, a security system. And I think you know our goal is probably to have eleven or twelve of these around uh, the V1 RTM time frame. And right. the, the really cool thing is you can actually, once you build one of these starter kits, there's a little tool that will ship as part of the SDK that you can run, which will actually package up the starter kit into an installable unit. And then anyone with that has Visual Studio installed can basically point at your website, browse, and see. Oh, you know, on Franklin.net there is a cool starter kit for talk radio you know hmm, click on cool. it it downloads it'll like actually then add itself into the file the visual studio um file new website or file new project menu item uh or, you know menu, awesome. or but to dialogue sorry and so now anytime you in visual studio say file new whatever you can actually pick this downloaded template from the web and use that as the basis for a new project that, that should really make it dramatically you know easier for people to kind of get started and, and more importantly, share best practices. That's great. Here's another question along uh, from the .NET New community from Sean Mahaffey. Mm-hmm. How does .NET New compare to SharePoint? What are some advantages of each? Um, yeah, and, and, you know, some ways there's, there's some similarities in terms of, 
you know, providing kind of, uh, you know, a customizable UI interface. Um, I think, you know, with uh, .NET Nuke today, I think .NET Nuke is, um, I think, uh, obviously you can use .NET Nuke both on the Internet and on the Internet. Right. I think one differentiator for .NET Nuke today is it has far more Internet-style capabilities in terms of, um, uh, you know, support for built-in photo albums and forums, and it supports uh, forms-based authentication for doing username password management, yeah. um, things like that. SharePoint is more aimed, uh, in the current version, for intranet scenarios, uh, and so it uses sort of built-in Windows auth. Um, you know, some of the things that SharePoint has going forward for intranet scenarios are obviously rich integration with Office. Yeah, I think that was the key yeah. feature of SharePoint. What it was built around was handling Office docs like yeah. they were HTML. And so, and so the ability to say, oh, I'm going to create a, uh, you know, a form around, say, a team or a project and, you know, add these eight people, have access to it. You can open and edit things directly on the website in Office and you, know, you can hit save inside, you know, Word and save it back on the original site, the SharePoint site. So some of the, some of those things are pretty pretty darn cool for, you know, document lifecycle and management and stuff. Um, kind of where we're going, um, you know, starting really with ASP.NET 2.0, is we've taken the concept of web parts, which uh, used to be a SharePoint only feature, and we've kind of baked it directly into ASP.NET 2.0. Mm. And the next version of SharePoint will build very heavily on top of ASP.NET 2.0. Yeah, I was just thinking SharePoint needs to get to 2.0 themselves. Yep, and they, they've got uh, yeah, the, uh, the version that ships with uh, Office 12 um, next year will will be fully uh, ASP.NET 2.0 based. It's amazing you can say that with a straight face, man. Office 12, it's like Rocky 19, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's looking pretty good, actually. Um, but, the, but the really cool thing is, it's, is yeah, SharePoint's a full ASP.NET 2.0 app. So you can use, for example, the same login controls and the same membership system that you use on your vanilla ASP.NET site, hey, SharePoint's using it. Yeah. And, uh, and so it'll be, it'll be much more Internet hostable. And the nice thing is, you know, if you build a web part and uh, when the, the ASP.NET 2.0 version of .NET Nuke comes out, you'll be able to use that web part in, in, you know, potentially in both .NET Nuke and in SharePoint. Um, cool. And, you know, it, the benefit is you just get better capability. And, and you know, obviously .NET Nuke will give you more flexibility in terms of, being able to dive into the core system and, and do rich changes and, and you have full access to everything. But being able to build a reusable web part and be able to also have it run in SharePoint and vice versa, I think is going to be something that's pretty cool. Cool. Uh, our friend Dax in India says uh, two questions. One, will there be any surprises or new stuff between Beta 2 and RTM versions? And I think you already answered that, that your feature complete at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's, there'll be there'll be very little things. Uh, so you know, a lot of kind of last minute polishing okay. um, is kind of the way I think about it. So, um, uh, you know, our migration wizard will get a lot better in terms of handling uh, you know compat issues that people have run into with beta two. Um, no major and, features and, and, and a few other little things, but it's it's for the most part the feature set will be pretty pretty much the same as it is in beta two. Okay. Question two: Will there be a visual designer for the sitemap files in 2.0's final release? Ah, uh, there won't be. So uh, this, the sitemap files today in ASP.NET 2 are XML files, um, and so we have a uh, IntelliSense support inside Visual Studio for them. Okay. It's, it's a fairly easy file format, but we won't, uh, unfortunately, in, in 2.0 have or Visual Studio 2005, we won't have a graphical 
designer for it. Something we're looking at doing possibly in Orcus, though. Okay. That's cool. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this one comes from, uh, oh, Alfred Myers again. Kurzistoff Awalina and Brad Abrams are writing a book on design guidelines. Are there any design decisions you regret? Anything that you guys thought would be better to rewrite from scratch? Uh, design decisions that I regret. Uh, yeah, oh, well, sure. I mean, you, you always definitely have uh, kind of design decisions that you kind of wish, oh, I wish we could go back and change that. Um, Mostly when you get into the compatibility phase and you're trying to keep stuff working. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, you get some with compat. Uh, um, you know, for the most part, I think with the ASP.NET V1, we did a, we really had a good architecture. Yeah. And so there, there isn't really anything fundamental in terms of the architecture that I think I'd change. Um, you know, I, okay. I wish, the only, the only thing I think I wish in the architecture side, um, I wish we'd pushed understood our uh or spent a little bit more time thinking about application domains and make made them a little bit less heavyweight um something I wish we'd spent a little bit more time on in v one uh, they're they're kind of pretty big concepts with a lot of baggage associated with them mostly good but but you know I, I think that's an area we might have invested a little bit more on um okay. I wish code access security was on by default in V1. Yeah. Um, it's, a lot of people uh, just ignore pretty that. pretty easy to turn on. But uh, it would, I think it would make make it easier for people to build sites that were just worked in the hosting environment by default. We see a lot of cases where people are sometimes doing kind of you know stuff that they don't need to do, but it ends up making their life harder in a hosting environment. But yeah, for the most part, I think we got we got most of the stuff done pretty well in v1 so i feel pretty good about that cool all right let's talk about internet information server 7 because uh that's uh one of the hats that you wear at microsoft mm -hmm. when when did you start that role by the way um yeah i actually i was on the is team back in 97 uh 90, wow early 90s wow. a long time ago uh, and uh um and uh, we actually, uh, uh, a colleague of mine, Mark Anders, and I kind of started the ASP.NET team um, from the IS team. And uh, and so originally there were two of us, and then uh, Dimitri, uh, who's uh, the ASP.NET dev manager still today, uh, uh, started, uh, came on board. And, and at some point we basically splintered off from the IS team and kind of created our own new team and, and kind of grew. And uh, so a lot of people always assumed, oh, you guys must be on the same team with IES. And, and from about 98 until uh, the end of 2003, uh, we actually weren't. So beginning of 2004, we uh, merged the ASP.NET team and the IS team back together again. And so I've kind of um, kind of uh, been responsible for that ever since. And so I mean, the, the two technologies are utterly dependent on each other, so sure. you might as well work together. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, you know, we always work closely as uh, different teams, but... Um, you know, we decided to put the two teams together and look for even more kind of uh, richer synergies. And so uh, I've been kind of um, driving kind of our IS7 release, which is a, a major, major new release that will ship in the Longhorn time frame. And what's that going to uh, tell us about that? Uh, there's lots of new stuff. So um, it's, it's probably the most significant release of IS or major release of IS we've done in terms of a feature set. 
I mean, it has been a while. IIS six has been pretty stable. Yeah, it's been pretty. Uh, IIS six shipped in uh, uh, first half two thousand three, and uh, it's been it's been hugely stable and you know hugely popular in terms of deployments and, and customer feedback. And uh, we're basically taking all the goodness that IIS six has in terms of the new process model, HP sys model, um, and uh, and just kind of runtime engine and, and uh, extended. A lot more. So one thing that we've done is we're integrate. We're basically merging the ASP.NET configuration model with the IS configuration model. So you'll be able to put all IS settings, for example, inside web.config files now. Oh, nice. nice. So you know, today if you deploy a site, hey, you can X copy most of your settings up, but you know, default document you can't control, or or some of the security uh, authentication properties you can't control. Right. Or the custom errors, it's hard to control. Um, you know now. You can actually have the IS settings live right next to the ASP.NET settings inside your web.config file. Very. I mean, you could definitely get into a battle between ASP security settings and IIS security settings. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And so now we're merging those. There's basically a unified set that will push people to use going forward. Uh, we'll still support the old ones for, for uh, uh, compatibility purposes. But basically, we'll deprecate them and say, hey, you should go to this nice unified model now. There's one way to do it. Um, we're... And so, so the, sort of the ability to distribute config and do what's called delegation is a huge thing. And I think, for especially for application developers, they're really going to like the fact that they have much more kind of ability to set those settings directly in their application, deploy them with their applications, and not require a separate script they need to run when they go ahead and set up the app. Um, so that, that, that should be pretty big. Um, there is then a new admin tool um, that uh, provides kind of a... Uh, also delegated view of your system. So, for example, if um, you know, is, is your website hosted today? Franklin.net? Oh, and we host it here. Okay, you host it here. Yeah. Say, for example, you're, you're hosting at a, a hosting company, either a standalone box or a shared hosting where you might have other customers on the box. Mm-hmm. You can actually now, you'll now be able to use the IS7 admin tool to remotely manage your site over HTTP. Nice. It doesn't require you to open a firewall or anything like that. And more importantly, in a, host, a hosting environment, you'll only be able to change the settings that you own. So the hoster can set up, say, 20 different customers on the box. Those 20 different customers only see their sites and only are able to change their settings. But they have full use of the IS admin tool in order to do it. That's great. Um, which, yeah, which, which you know, gives you a really nice sort of delegated administration model. Um, from the developer perspective, we're unifying the uh, IS uh, pipeline with the ASP.NET pipeline, hmm. uh, which means that uh, you know ISAPI is still supported, um, but you can think of it kind of as deprecated. Um, and you can now, in addition to building ISAPI extensions and filters like you can today, you can build new modules either in C++ or in managed code. So you take ISAPI out of the picture as a middleman and you can come directly from IIS to ASP.NET is what you're saying. Correct. So, you know, low-level security protocol things that uh, you can't build in ASP.NET today, you can now build in IIS 7. Um, if you want to go ahead and replace how IIS does directory handling or directory listing, you can just unregister the built-in IIS directory listing module and replace it with your own, built in either VB or C-sharp. Nice. And the interface for doing that is the HP module interface that we've had since ASP.NET v1. So it's a very familiar model um, to ASP.NET developers and really lets advanced developers tune and tweak the system in a pretty core way. 
And the beauty is all, all the IIS functionality is built on top of this public interface model. So uh, um, all our built-in features, whether it's compression, whether it's authentication or authorization or you know, logging, are all built on this model. And you can literally open up the, uh, you know, the, web, or the web.config file for your system and look at, oh, here are the built-in 35 IIS modules. You can go ahead and, oh, and there's the 10 ASP.NET modules that are built in. I don't care about these 20. Let's just whack them out. And you delete them, hit save, and you've just reconfigured your server to use a subset of the overall modules. And you can even delete those modules then off your disk. And so you can go ahead and build kind of tuned servers specific to workloads, dramatically reduce your attack surface. And then more importantly, as a developer, you can go ahead and write functionality that plugs in. Basically, you have full control over the system. That sounds and, uh, awesome. I think you'll see a lot of really interesting things be built out of, as a result of that. And this is going to run on Longhorn only, or is it also going to run on 2003? Plan right now is Longhorn only. Um, okay. uh, it's, there's enough other core things that we're kind of doing that it kind of requires an OS release to support. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it's it's uh, it should be a, a pretty exciting release to upgrade to. But we're still talking 18 months away, so there's there's yeah. lots that can happen in that right. time. And we're hoping to be able to give out a beta at the PDC this September. Nice. That would be great. Um, a beta? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. uh, um, uh, that's that's our goal. <laughs> we'll see how, whether we do. Um, but but, um, but that, that's certainly one of the things that we're driving towards is to be able to actually give out real bits. Um, that also and, means a beta of Longhorn, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a, you would also, you know, we'd also include, obviously, a beta of Longhorn as part yeah. of that. So. Yeah, so so hopefully be you know be in people's hands fairly soon, and uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff to like there. So I think Fantastic. I think you'll be pretty happy with it. That's great. Well, Scott, um, I, uh, I it's you know we've gone over time. I could talk for another hour and a half easily, but uh, it is a an hour show. So I ask all of my guests at the end of the show, what's the coolest thing you've downloaded lately? And to the Microsoft people, I have this extra piece that isn't on your own website. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what's the coolest thing that I've downloaded lately? Uh, huh. Um, and you're in a, you know, you're not alone because most of the people who are doing serious work in Microsoft all say the same thing. You know, I've just been working so hard, I haven't had time to download anything. So I just got a new smartphone, which is pretty cool. Oh, which one? Uh, I got the, let's see, what is it? It is, actually, no, it's a, it's, I actually managed to break my other smartphone by opening a door with it. Uh, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. Yeah, yeah, I managed to crack the screen. Um, it's called iMate, some pocket PDA 2K. I'm not sure, it's sort of rebranded, but it's, looks pretty cool. I'm wow. literally powering it up as we speak, but it's like a PDA device. and That's a Palm, isn't it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's running Windows. We got to wait a couple of minutes before it's powered it's up. Pocket PC thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it uh, and it has like a BlackBerry like keyboard that you can actually pop up, which cool. looks pretty cool. Slides out of the bottom. Yeah, slides out of the bottom. Yeah, that's nice. one of the Siemens. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it looks like a, it look. Yeah, it kind of looks like a Siemens device. So yeah, so it's a it's a rebranded Siemens. That's the basically the one that I have, except I have the Samsung version of that. Yeah, it sounds yours, like I think it's CDMA as well. Yeah, it's CDMA. Yeah, and it's got it's the thing that's cool is it has a I have a data plan so basically I get my email you know as it arrives in my inbox yeah. on the little phone 
I love the yeah, I love the fact that they're directly connected to Exchange. It's Exchange is just another client. Yeah, and that's 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 pretty cool in terms of how it changed my workflow. The one downside is it it means that I never have a vacation again because <laughs> yeah, you you never have an excuse for not answering your email now. Exactly, uh, but uh, uh, I had the AudioVox uh, smartphone before that and really liked that um, until I broke it. But uh, um, <laughs> well, you know, if you open doors with your smartphones, they're generally going to get some pain. Apparently, bad stuff happens. But th- that's th- that's my new toy. I'm going to play with this weekend. Awesome. Well, here's an opportunity to give someone on your team some props. Uh, and, and I don't know how this is going to work out, but, you know, every time, you, you, every once in a while, there's somebody who's been, you know, lurking in the back of the room during a triage and uh, is completely silent. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's scratching their head trying to figure out how to do something. And from the back of the room comes this, why don't you guys just do X? And everybody goes, Yeah. That'll work great, man. Uh, is there anybody who's been like that on your on your team lately that uh, has just you know done something spectacular that you want to give them a shout out? Oh, there's uh, there's there's a lot of people on the team that have done uh, pulled some uh, pretty big heroics lately in terms of you know getting uh, Whidbey out the door and and all that. Uh, big kudos to everyone. <laughs> I guess is what I'd say. How many people on your team? About 150. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're yeah, kind of a big team, but um, uh, they've been they've been really kicking butt and uh, uh, pretty proud of what they're building. Oh, that's great. Well, kudos to you and to the team. And man, we can't wait for this stuff, can we, Richard? No, I'm stoked. Cool. Playing with beta two, it looks great. And uh, keep it up. And I guess we'll see you at TechEd. And, Sounds uh, great. At the PDC after that. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks a bunch. And from everybody here at .NET Rocks, Richard Campbell, Jeff Maciolik, and uh, out there, back there in the sound room, and all the people in the chat room, this is Carl Franklin saying, have a great week. See you next time.